Good evening. Good to have you with us this evening. I don't know if you uh, are my age or a little older, you might remember the, uh, the Disney version of Pinocchio, the cartoon version of that. You might remember that the uh, blue fairy comes down and grants Geppetto's wish to make Pinocchio a, a living creature and later a, a, a young boy. And before she leaves, she gives Pinocchio this profound advice, right? She says, remember to be a good boy and to always follow your conscience. That sounds so deeply theological. It sounds so good and so right, but it is terrible advice. It is a great gift that God has given us, our conscience. But to follow it in any and every situation, not always a good thing. In fact, it's a very dangerous thing. You know, when I was at the church in uh, Cassville, Missouri, we were about to start worship services, and this, this lady came up to me, and a great lady, but she always seemed to have an opinion about something, and she came up to me, and she said, uh, is it hot in here to you? And I said, yeah, you know, it is hot in here. Of course, it's always hot. And uh, I said, yeah, it is hot in here. And she goes, why don't you th change the thermostat? And I said, I ain't doing that. There's no way I'm getting involved in this. You want to go change it, that's fine. But because every church service, especially on Sunday morning, you can look out there and you can see people fanning themselves and you can see people covered up in a stole because they're freezing. We have this constant battle at our home with temperature. Do you? You know what that's like? I like it at 60 degrees all the time, even if it's below 30 outside. I want it at 60 degrees all the time. I want to sleep like I'm in a cave, dark and cold. And my wife, if it drops below 80, is freezing. And so there's this subtle tug of war that goes on with the thermostat. You know what that's like? It's hard to keep everyone happy when it comes to temperature. And I think sometimes we liken our conscience to a thermostat or a thermometer, right? And when we talk about you know, our conscience, we look at it from the standpoint as a thermometer where you know, we... We place it in a certain situation, and it accurately tells us the moral temperature. But our conscience is not a thermometer. Our conscience is a thermostat. And there is a difference between the two. Thermostats don't define hot and cold. They simply reflect what we deem as hot or cold. We set them to respond to what we like or what we feel is comfortable. And as we all know, not everyone has the same standard of comfort. Like my wife and I, we vary greatly and really are on two different ends of the spectrum when it comes to comfortability as it relates to temperature. And we kind of see our conscience that way many times. We set our conscience to the standards that we choose. We determine when it kicks on or when it kicks off. And it, it doesn't tell us when we're violating God's standard. It only notifies us when we're violating our standard. You know, a lot of times, we tell our conscience to go into the direction that we want to go anyway. Like the preacher who says, yeah, I just felt like I was moved to go take this other job. Doesn't mention that it pays a whole lot more and all those kind of things. But, you know, a lot of times, we just want to go where we want to go, and we tell our conscience to follow. Our conscience cannot determine right and wrong. That's another reason why it's dangerous to always follow our conscience. Yes, there are things that are inherently good or bad. We know that. 
I mean, we're born with that in our DNA. We just know that some things are good and some things are bad. But our conscience cannot be our guide in all matters pertaining to right and wrong. The wise Solomon stated, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It was Paul who said, brethren, I have lived with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. You know, you remember that Paul, when he was Saul, was persecuting Christians. He was sincerely doing God's work, or at least he thought he was. And so he lived without a guilty conscience. One's conscience can also be deceived. The Pharisees had deceived the people into neglecting their aging parents and giving that money to the temple treasury. Surely the Pharisees had to be right. They were the religious elite, the leaders of the time. So our conscience can be deceived, right? We can also reset our conscience. I grew up in a spiritual household. My mother was intent on making certain that I was raised to fear God, to love Jesus. My grandfather was the mentor in my life in a lot of ways, including my spirituality, a good man solid man of character. I don't believe that my grandmother, or my grandfather, I should say, or my mother, I don't believe that either one of them set out to say, I want to raise my son in the wrong way. I want to raise my grandson or my son in a religion that is wrong. I don't think that they set out to do that. In fact, there were many things in my upbringing that were very true and right. And my mother made sure that I was christened She made sure that I went through catechism. She made sure that I was confirmed. She made sure that I was a good altar boy that served at every Mass. She wanted what was right for me. However, as I got older, I began to study the Scriptures. I couldn't find my church in there. That's a problem. It's a problem when you can't find your church in the Bible. And so that got the wheels turning. That got things going. I met my wife who obviously helped me in that respect. I I took a coaching job in Cord Charlotte, Arkansas, where my my superintendent was an elder in the church there. And so all the wheels kept turning, and things eventually came to me resetting my conscience and understanding that there is a better way. Rarely do we ever see that when it comes to following our conscience— Rarely do we ever see in the moment that maybe we've been deceived or maybe that we may need to change direction or course, but sometimes that happens. And sometimes we reach that moment of truth where we say, like a GPS, I need to do some reprogramming. I need to recalibrate because the standard that I've been going by is not the right standard. The conscience may need adjusting. It may need retraining. It it may need to be educated because Feelings change. Following the heart doesn't always lead us in the right direction. It typically leads one, as I said, in the direction they already want to go. Before I became a Christian, I had a very skewed perspective on some things that were immoral. I I engaged in some pretty illicit behaviors when I was younger. And I had a pretty clear conscience about that. I had deceived myself into believing that it was okay, that I wasn't hurting anyone except maybe myself. But as I got older and as I began going to the Bible and looking at different scriptures and realizing that, okay, my standard of living is not up to par. We all need a standard, right? The problem is when it's our standard, 
we can deceive ourselves and believe that everything's good and fine, but when you look at it from God's standard, and you say, well, I'm not living up to that, then something has to change, right? Your conscience has to be reset. Majority does not equal morality either. You know, nowhere in Scripture does God promise to accept something if a vast number of people are doing it. Nowhere does it say that enough people are on the wrong path that he'll make it the right path. And I think sometimes we fool ourselves into believing that this isn't so bad because everybody else is doing it. That's what I did. All my friends are doing this. It can't be that bad. Some have suggested that if you want to know the best way to determine God's will, just take an opinion poll and do the exact opposite. And that's probably true. Add to all of this the misinformation that's out there. Like I said last week, we often used to use the strategy of just preach the truth and people will come. Folks don't know the truth. You ever talk to people outside of these walls? You talk to people in your circles? You talk to people in the world? They don't know truth. I mean, turn on the TV, you know, Watch any kind of television program today, virtually any television program, listen to the news, whatever it may be, you're going to find a whole lot of people that don't know what truth is or that have a very messed up view of truth. There's misinformation that comes from teachers, respected preachers, even our parents sometimes. They can lead us astray while all the while maintaining a sincere attitude about it, and feeling good about themselves. There's one more reason why we cannot fully rely on our conscience or our heart to be our guide, and it's this. Our conscience can become numb. It can become callous. Notice Titus 1 and 15. It reads, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. There was a guy by the name of Richard Kuklinski who was a hitman for the mafia. And he was a professional murderer who many referred to as the Iceman because... He would put his victims in a freezer to try to confuse the authorities about the time of death. He was a cold-blooded killer. He was abused as a child, and some psychologists think that that's what led to him being such a cold-blooded killer. He killed his first victim by the age of 18, and through several television interviews and documentaries, one thing that stood out about Richard Kuklinski is that he had absolutely no remorse. None. I mean, he did not feel bad for one moment about what he had done. And he showed absolutely no remorse for any of his killings. Now, that may be a rather extreme example, but it just goes to show that the conscience can become numb. The Bible speaks about that. Some allow their conscience to, to gradually erode over time. After enough time passes, they find it easy, even acceptable, to believe or act in a way that is contradictory to God's standard. And it's easy to convince ourselves that something is right, even if it isn't. 
one of the most heated discussions I ever had with one of my teenagers when I was a youth minister is on the subject of, was on the subject of drinking and, uh, and using marijuana. This young man saw nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong if I do that. I'm not hurting anybody. There's nothing wrong with it. Alcohol is legal. Marijuana should be legal, he said, because it's no different than alcohol. And I, of course, talked to him a little bit about, you know, it is, it is wrong for you. You're not 21. So, I mean, it's illegal for you any way you cut it. But then we talked about the ins and outs of, you know, alcoholism and all those kind of things. But his conscience was perfectly clear at that moment. I hope it's changed, but in that moment, it was perfectly clear. He refused to see the error of his thinking. Others think there's nothing wrong with certain, you know, habits or, or simple desires or, you know, like pornography. Pornography is, you know, it's a victimless crime. It doesn't hurt anyone. It's just me looking at images. I've heard that one several times. A clear conscience does not make one innocent. Just because you may have a clear conscience about it does not make you innocent. It's interesting that one can have a clear conscience about some immoral things, but not others. We see this in the Bible. Remember David? David was a man who conspired to commit murder. He had an illicit relationship with Bathsheba. And it seems that after the fact, he was living with a clear conscience. At least that's what I gather from that. Until God sends a prophet, Nathan, to come onto the scene and call him to the carpet. And he does so by telling him that parable about that one little ewe lamb that uh, a very wealthy neighbor took from this, this poor man so that he could feed his traveling guest. And David was incensed by that. He believed that this man should die for stealing that one little ewe lamb. When David should have been put to death for two offenses, both of those were punishable by death, by stoning. He couldn't see that, but he could see that this man was wrong for stealing that one little ewe lamb, slaughtering it and serving it up to his guest. So it's interesting how our conscience can be numb to some things and yet be totally aware and alert to other things. But you know, it's easy to rationalize our own behavior, isn't it? It's easy because the faults of others are like, you know, headlights on a car. They're, they always seem brighter than ours do. And so we, we can rationalize we can you know justify we can come up with ways to clear our conscience and yet we can wonder why others don't feel guilty just another reason why following your heart is a very precarious proposition prophet jeremiah stated the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick who can understand it so god gave us a conscience What's it good for? Maybe that's what you've been wondering up to this point. It's got to be good for something, right? Think of it in terms of a traffic light. You have red for stop, you have yellow for caution, and you have green for go. The conscience that God has endowed you with is a really good red light. It's a good caution light. It's a terrible green light. When it comes to our conscience, our conscience has to be educated. It has to be trained. We have to program it. Like a computer, we talked about garbage in, garbage out when we were talking about uh, you know, our, 
our, our young ladies at Shine, we talked about gigo, garbage in, garbage out. You know, a computer is only as good as the data that's entered into it. And the same is true with our conscience. Garbage in, garbage out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. And so we have to educate it. We have to train it. We have to program it. And guess how we do that? You want to take a guess on what information goes into your conscience? You want to guess how we train it? What's the standard? God's Word. And so we train it by God's Word. Our conscience, when it contains God's Word, becomes a much more reliable source. The Greek word for conscience is a hard word to say. It's sunedesis, and it literally means a knowing with. And the idea is to know God's will and to seek to follow God's will and allow it to govern our lives. And so when we have a guilty conscience, it's because we know that we're not living up or meeting the standard of God's word or God's will. We know good from bad. We know right from wrong. We know what it takes to please God because we have trained our conscience to discern those kind of things. The only time it is acceptable to follow your heart is when it is pure and seeking to do the Lord's will. This takes continuous training and programming. In its proper place, the conscience is a great blessing from God. And it can be a person's valuable instrument in prompting them to head in the proper direction and to grow in knowledge. At the conclusion of Romans 14, Paul cautions the Christians that are engaging in, in something that violates one's conscience. He says it's sin. Even if that something is a non-issue religiously or otherwise. In the case of eating meat, for example, Paul states that one should eat or drink from faith or with a clear conscience. This doesn't mean that a clear conscience makes a wrong act right, but a violated conscience can make a right act wrong for the individual, if that makes sense. The conscience is such a sensitive and delicate instrument that it becomes wrong to violate it, even in matters of expediency. That's what Paul's talking about here. But don't you think that Paul is giving these folks a way out? You know, we look at Romans 14, and we look at the strong brother versus the weak brother, and the one thing we take away from that is we use it to our own benefit so that we don't ever have to change or do anything. You notice that? That's how we use Romans 14 in the church. Well, we're going to make this, this slight change to worship. Well, I don't like that, and I'm the weaker brother. You've got to listen to me. Romans 14 wasn't meant to be an excuse for all time or a cop-out for all time so that people never had to change, so that you could just be stunted in your growth and never grow any further. What Paul is saying here, I believe, what we can take from this a little further, perhaps, is that let them get their conscience trained. There's no reason to go to battle over this. It's meat. It's not a truth issue. If it violates their conscience, then that's okay. Over time, it will be trained. Over time, they'll be educated. It's like when I came out of the Catholic Church, I really had a struggle with not observing certain holy days. I had a real struggle not eating meat on Fridays during Lent and those kind of things. And I'm thankful that somebody didn't just slam the door on me at that time. That allowed me to kind of grow through that and realize, okay, this is not, it's not a matter of truth that the Bible is forbidding me to do these things. And so I, you educate your conscience, you, you grow, you, you figure it out. And I think that's why Paul says, look, maintain the unity. Don't worry about this. This is a meat issue. If it violates their conscience and let them grow through that. 
The conscience doesn't determine right and wrong. It merely judges one based upon the standard of conduct that that person has adopted. Let me say that again. The conscience doesn't determine right and wrong. It merely judges one based upon the standard of conduct that that person has adopted. Again, it's not a thermometer, it's a thermostat. You know, there have been times in my life, and I'm sure you're the same way, where I have trusted my gut. And that's another way we could phrase this, follow your heart, you know, or, or trust your gut feeling. Coaching is all about trusting your gut. And there are times during the game where you have to make adjustments, where you have to do this or that, and sometimes it's just a gut feeling. And sometimes it works out, a lot of times it doesn't. You just hope when it doesn't work out that the fans don't recognize it as much. But that's what's happening right now in the World Series. If you're watching, Dave Roberts is taking a lot of heat because he's made some gut decisions that didn't necessarily work out. Not playing the NLCS MVP in the first game of the World Series. Just last night, pulling Rich Hill, who he says told him that he was struggling, whatever. He's taking a lot of heat. Baseball, as much as anything, goes by gut feeling. And there's a lot of times where I've gone on a gut feeling and people praise you and they say, you know, wow, what a genius move. And you're thinking, that wasn't a genius, that was luck. That was strictly luck. And it cracks me up when, when we talk about coaches being genius, geniuses for these gut moves. It's more luck than it is anything else. I'm just grateful it worked out that time. And so we follow our heart at times. We, we go with our gut. And there are times when that, that works fine. There are times when that may be the thing to do. But many folks in our world are relying on a gut feeling when it comes to their spirituality. They're relying on instinct instead of relying on God's word. I mean, how many times have you talked to people? I can remember talking with my mother before she passed away about a, a, a spiritual issue. And she said, I know what the Bible says, but I just believe this way. What's your standard? It can't be feeling or instinct can't be your gut it's got to be God's word you train your conscience against God's word the conscience is a great blessing from God but it's not the ultimate standard it's it's a thermostat it's a yellow light it's a it's a valuable warning light on your dashboard when we properly understand its function and when it's functioning properly our conscience can alert us to slow down or to slam on the brakes but it's a terrible green light as I've said over and over again don't always trust your feelings your feelings can be wrong. Trust God's word. Educate your conscience. Train it so that you can discern right from wrong. This is something we talk about at preacher training camp a lot, something that I talk about with my kids a lot. When you go off to college, you're going to hear a lot of differing views, and you're going to come in contact with a lot of different folks that have a lot of different ideas, and that's all fine and great and good. What's the standard? Don't just listen to a, a, a charismatic professor. Don't just listen to your friends. Don't just listen to me and your mom. Study to show thyself approved. The standard is God, his word, his will. Educate your conscience. Train it so that you can show yourself a worker approved. End of rant. Thank you for listening tonight. And I know as we talked about this morning, there, there are a lot of folks that are, that are struggling, a lot of folks that are dealing with difficult times. When you do a lesson like this morning, you walk away from that and you hear people come up to you and say, 
like you wouldn't believe what we're dealing with right now. I, I know there's a lot of things going on in your life, and if we can help you with that in any way, we are a family, and a family should function to help one another through good times and bad. Maybe you're someone who has been running on feeling, and you're ready to, to study the Bible with someone, to train that conscience. Maybe you're, maybe you're ready to put on Christ this evening. We say it every week, don't leave here without being right with God be a very foolish decision to walk out of here if you're not right with God. Take care of that tonight. Jay's going to lead us in a song. If you have a need, come as we stand and as we sing.